Well, tonight let's go, or this morning let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Today, I hope you don't have a problem with this, but I'm going to give you more scripture today than uh, you will get in probably six months in the charismatic church. I mean, but uh, that's, I think that's probably a good thing. There is a lot of scripture I want to share with you today, and I'm going to try not to take too long on this, but I want to, I'm going to talk today. I'm going to kind of use uh, the story of Palm Sunday, and I want to show us something that happens there, and then we're going to actually look at Jesus Christ, and we're going to compare him to the Antichrist. And basically, what I want us to learn from all this is I want us to learn to think like Christ. The reason most of us get discouraged at times uh, when it comes to uh, maybe things that we pray for that don't get answered in the way we like is we're not thinking like Christ. The reason many churches, they get away from the Word of God and they go after other paths and try different things is they're not thinking like Christ. And the truth is they're thinking like Antichrist which all of us are prone to do. We are all very prone to this, and I think you'll see that when we compare Jesus Christ and Antichrist, I think we'll find that in many ways we relate more to Antichrist, and that's because of our sin nature. But we know that that's not the way we want to go, that He's not the one that we want to follow. But I want us, first I want us to look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's basically saying here, I want you to think like Jesus. Your way of thinking needs to be like His way of thinking. And it says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. So let this mind be in you. Jesus, His mind, His way of thinking, He humbled Himself. Here He was, equal with God, yet He was allowed Himself to be made in the likeness of men. And He humbled Himself. He was obedient. He didn't defy God. He obeyed God, even to going to Mount Calvary to die on that cross. That way of thinking... The way of thinking that Jesus had is completely foreign to, to us many times. Our natural, what our natural man wants to do. And we see in the Bible that the Antichrist, when I was reading all these verses about the Antichrist, I was thinking, man, I think I can see why he's going to be able to deceive the whole world. He knows how we think in a sinful way. Unlike Jesus Christ who thinks... In a holy way. But I want us to, I want us to look at something that I, I want us to see from the triumphal entry. But in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you don't have to turn to all these scriptures. I'm going to be going all over the Bible today. And so, and if we take time to turn to all of them, we're going to be here all day. And we don't want to do that. But in Zechariah 9, verse 9, we have a prophecy here that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold thy king with a capital K cometh. Under thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Can anybody tell me who that's talking about right there? Thy king cometh with salvation. Well, that's Jesus Christ, isn't it? 
That's Jesus Christ. It says in Psalms 118, verse 26, this is a prophetical verse. It says, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Now go over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we, today is Palm Sunday. Is uh, what this day is known as. This is the week before Easter. And right here is the story of Palm Sunday. We're going to see what it was that was going, uh, going on here. And in Luke chapter 19, we'll start reading in verse... Uh, we'll start reading in verse 28. It says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage, and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King with a capital K that cometh in the name of the Lord. Just like that verse we read in Psalms. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these would hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. We're going to stop reading right there. But I want you to notice what's happening here. This is what's known as the triumphal entry. All right. So, I mean, just picture, we've got the Mount of Olives. And if you're standing on, if I'm on the Mount of Olives up here, I can look straight down and I can see the temple there in Jerusalem. The eastern gate that we, you've probably heard about is right there. The entrance that goes to that temple. And there was a prophecy in the Bible back in Zechariah that one of these days that the king, the Messiah, he was going to come. And they knew that one of these days he was going to come. They, many of them knew this prophecy that he was going to come riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And they, were, uh, they knew that that day was going to come. In fact, if you study uh, Bible prophecy and the vision of Daniel, I mean, it... Daniel basically spelled out exactly when this event was going to happen in the very year. And sure enough, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Some knew what was going on. Some didn't know what was going on. But I want you to understand that when this happened, when Jesus came in riding on that donkey through that eastern gate, when the people are laying their garments before Him and they're all waving the palm branches, where they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. What they were saying right there is the Messiah has come. The, the Messiah is here. The King is here. They're saying this during a time of Roman oppression and during a time, a very difficult time. And it was something they were all praying for, but it was something they weren't expecting that day. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they see all this going on. They see this commotion. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Hey, this is supposed to be happening when the Messiah comes. But this is that Jesus of Nazareth. It can't be him. Look at look at the way he's coming. You know, here he is coming on on a donkey. He's not coming on you know a white horse and with his armies behind him. No, he's 
coming in meek and lowly, which is what the Bible said he was going to do in Zechariah chapter 9. And here these people, what they are basically saying, this is the Messiah. And the Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop it. I mean, it would, it would be terrible if, for example, if some of you in here, if you started accusing me of being God, I don't know why you'd do that, but if you, if you did, but what would be horrible is if I didn't rebuke you. I mean, that would be horrible for me to accept that kind of worship if it were not true. But notice Jesus, He didn't rebuke His disciples because they were absolutely right. He was the Messiah. He was the Hosanna. He was the blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. That was Him. Here He is making that triumphal entry into Jerusalem just like it was prophesied in the Bible. But one of the things that we know, one of the reasons many did not believe about Jesus is there was many things they did not understand about the coming of the Messiah. They all thought He was going to come in and basically rule the world from there, which is going to happen at His second coming. They didn't understand that first He had to come and He had to make the sacrifice for sins. They didn't understand that. They missed that. They didn't see it. And so when all this is happening, it wasn't the way many thought it was going to happen. At first there, it's seeming great, but if we're not going to take time to read it. But if you watch after Jesus comes into the temple... He doesn't go and it's not a big celebration. If you read the story, he goes and he sees all the junk going on in the temple. He sees all these people selling and making merchandise in the place. And he takes a whip and starts driving people out of there. He takes the, their, uh, the tables and he turns the tables over. I mean, Jesus went in there and he just kind of goes on a rampage through the place. And rightfully so. There was a lot of wickedness going on there. And he rebuked him and he said, My house should be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. And so Jesus goes and he's basically, he's cleansing the temple and he's preaching things that they didn't want to hear. And it just it wasn't what they expected at all. Now you and I, we understand it looking back. Jesus, he had to do these things. He had to die on the cross first. He had, to, and he had to suffer that horrible death and He had to rise again. And, and we needed that time for us, for the Gentiles, for the church age that we're in today. We needed that time. The Gentiles, there was nothing going on with them for all those years before that. And He made a way for anyone in the world. They can be saved. Anybody in the world can come to Him, have a relationship with Him. And so you and I understand why this was such a big event why it was great. But understand for the Jews, it was not what many of them were expecting. In fact, I think a lot of those very people that were saying Hosanna in the highest, I think probably were some of the same people that were yelling crucify Him just a few days later. Because here they thought, here comes the Messiah. Here comes the King. Boy, He's going to get rid of... He's going to go and He's going to take over the Romans. He's going to drive the Romans out of here. He's going to rule the world. He's going to use us to reign with Him. The Jerusalem, we're going to be the great city. But it didn't happen then. Jesus didn't go and set up His throne that day. He didn't do that. He was crucified just a short time later. It wasn't what they were expecting. And you know, many times the reasons that people get away from God and they get discouraged from the things of God is because God doesn't always do things the way they're expecting. And I think we can see, we're going we're to look at some things to show really God's way of thinking and our way of thinking and where we get confused. And I hope this will help you. But John, uh, uh, chapter, first John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time 
and ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Notice, I believe we're in the last days. We're seeing, the Bible said what it was going to be like in the last days. But however, you've got to understand too, they were in the last days during Paul's time too. He said, hey, we're in the last time. This, this age that we're in right now is the last one. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. I wouldn't think it could last too much longer. But he said that in the last time we see the Antichrist will come. There is going to be the Antichrist. I mean, the, the baddest guy that ever lived that's going to show up one of these days. And there's going to be that seven years of tribulation that we read about in the book of Revelation. But the Bible says that spirit of Antichrist, it's been working since the time of well, John here in 1 John. It's been going on for a long time. And it's alive and well in the world today. And while the Antichrist, while I, I, I'm guessing, he, I, I think he probably is alive right now. Because I, I don't think it's going to be too much longer before that man of sin is revealed. I could be wrong. He might not even be born yet. He could be just a little baby right now. I don't know. But I do know the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well right now today. And the Bible said that it would be that way. And you know, Jesus warned of it. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 43, He said, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. We see in Bible prophecy that the Antichrist will be accepted by the world. He will be loved by the world. They're going to think he's great. Jesus wasn't. And Jesus said that that's how it was going to be. But I want us to look at some contrast between Christ and the Antichrist and I, that I think is that I think is interesting to kind of help us think right because when I, as I was studying for this I thought our thinking a lot of times is a lot like Antichrist and I think that's why there's so much confusion in churches today but it says and we're going to go all over the Bible right now but one thing we see is that Christ he came down from heaven the Bible says in John chapter three verse three uh, thirteen and no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus Christ, He came down to earth from heaven. The Antichrist comes up out of the bottomless pit. Revelation eleven seven. And when, he, uh, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Talking about the saints. The Antichrist, He's going to ascend. He's going to try to lift himself up. Notice Jesus, he was always bringing himself down. He was always humbling himself. The Antichrist, he's always trying to raise himself up, trying to exalt himself. That's what people do these days. Anything to build themselves up, even anything to put themselves on some kind of pedestal, that's what it's all about. Man worship, just trying to be popular, trying to be great. Jesus was not like that one bit. We see that Christ, he came in another's name in John chapter 5, verse 43. That we, just, that we just read. Uh, he said, it says, I am come in my Father's name. He came in His Father's name. He come in God's name. And ye receive me not. If another shall come in His own name, him shall you receive. The Antichrist is going to come in His own name. The Antichrist is going to exalt Himself. Christ came to do the Father's will. He said in John 6.38, I came not to do my own will. But the will of Him that sent me. Jesus, when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. You know, Jesus didn't want to take that cup of sin. A holy God, why would He want to do that? But He said, nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. You know, these days, it's hard to get people to do anything that they don't want to do. 
That's why I appreciate y'all coming to church every week. I can't make anybody come to church. Boy, if I could, you know, it'd probably be a lot easier. But we can't do that. I can't make you do it. You all are here because you choose to come. I appreciate that. And uh, but the Antichrist, he just he does what he wants to do. It says in uh, Daniel chapter eleven verse thirty six, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that is determined. For that that is determined shall be done. You know that's the world's philosophy today. Nobody can tell me what to do. I don't have to listen to that Bible. That broke that book so old. Why would I? I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to listen to anybody. And that's just the idea. I don't have to listen to my parents. I don't have to listen to the authorities. I don't have to listen to the police. I don't have to listen. That that's the attitude today. You can't tell me what to do. I've heard kids tell their parents that you can't tell me what to do. They tell their teachers in school you can't tell me what to do. That rebellious attitude. That's what the Antichrist does. He exalts himself above every God. Who cares what the Bible says? This is what I say. This is what I want. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus, here he is, God, yet he did not exercise his own will. He did the will of the Father. Even when it meant lowering himself to taking our sin on us. That is so opposite of the Antichrist. It's so opposite of argument of, of man's nature, but that's the difference between Jesus and Antichrist. Christ, he was energized by the Holy Spirit. We see in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Jesus, his power was from the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that works in our lives today, that same Holy Spirit that indwells us, that we are, that we are dependent on, if anything's going to be accomplished in the church, that Holy Spirit, Jesus, He left it for us. He, when Jesus left earth, He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you a comforter with a capital C. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. While Jesus Christ, He's not on earth with us today, He's left His Spirit with us. His Spirit dwells inside of us. And that Spirit that is within us is what gives us the power to be a witness. It's what gives us the power to preach the Gospel and to be able to win other people to Christ. It's His Holy Spirit that He left us. It's where we get our power. It's where we got His power. However, the Antichrist, we see that uh, he was energized by Satan. Revelation chapter 13, 4 says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The dragon is talking about Satan. He gets it, the beast gets his power. The Antichrist gets his power from the devil. And he's going to be very powerful. People are going to look at him and say, who, who can make war with him? Who can go up against this guy? Look how mighty he is. You know, with Jesus Christ, they weren't scared of him. They went and they sent those soldiers to him. And they took him and they spit in his face. They mocked him. They put that crown of thorns in his head. And just, just to make fun of him. They said, you know, this is King of Jesus, the King of the Jews, just trying to mock him. They went and they hung him on that cross. And, you know, if you're really the Son of God, come down off that cross. They, they weren't scared of him. Why? Because he humbled himself. The Antichrist, they will be scared of him. 
Who is able to make war against them? Notice the contrast between Christ and Antichrist. So many people these days, they're always wanting to prove something to everybody. We've got to prove how tough we are. We've got to prove how smart we are. We've got to prove we're this. We've got to prove we're that. Jesus didn't do that. Antichrist does that. We should be thinking like Christ. Also, we see that Christ submitted Himself to God. John chapter 5 and verse 30 uh, says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. He submitted Himself to God. That word submit, I don't think people understand that. It's to place yourself under. You choose. Right? You know, wives, when they submit to their husbands, you know, especially in this day and age, they can't, nobody can make you do that. You have to choose to do that. That has to be your choice. And you have to be willing to do that. God doesn't force us to worship Him. He doesn't force you to read uh, the Bible. He doesn't force you to pray. But we're supposed to submit ourselves and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow His will. I'm going to follow His Word. That's what Jesus Christ did. But when they, the Antichrist... We see that he just defies. Second Thessalonians two four says, "Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." What's happening? What that verse is talking about right there is what's known as the abomination of desolation. One of these days, the Antichrist, he's going to make a false peace with Israel. We see that in the Bible. He's going, to, he's going to act like he's a friend of the Jews. But halfway through that tribulation, in that seven years, he's going to go into that temple. What's looked at to the Jews as the most holy place that there is. And in that place that is supposed to be reserved for God and God alone... He is going to go into that temple and is going to declare Himself to be God. I mean, you talk about the most arrogant, the most proud thing you could possibly do. That is what the Antichrist does. In the best way he can, he's going to defy God. And if he's going to defy God somewhere, where better to do it than the temple. The Jewish temple. And that's his attitude. Complete opposite. Of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, he allowed himself to be hung on a cross. And huge, huge difference. But we see that Christ humbled himself. We saw that in Philippians 2 8. He humbled himself. He didn't have to be humbled. But the Antichrist in Daniel chapter 11, verse 37 says, Neither shall he regard the God of his Father. Um, lost my spot. Um, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for He shall magnify Himself above all. He's going to. He's trying to once again lifting Himself up, exalting Himself, accepting the praise of man, praise that He doesn't deserve. You know, Satan he doesn't meet mind being called Jesus. He doesn't mind being called God. That's why there's some religions out there that there's a, a lot of their practices, even though they say they're worshiping Jesus, the practices and rituals and things they do, basically they come from Baal worship, which is Satan worship. It's like, well, they're saying Jesus. Satan doesn't mind being called by that. He think, He's one that said, I will be like the Most High. He doesn't care. And you talk about arrogant right there. Saying you know, he, he thought he could take Jesus' place. Nobody can do that. 
But the Antichrist, he does. He exalts himself. He doesn't regard the God of his fathers. I don't need to listen to the God of my fathers. I don't need to do what they say to do. In, in, uh, in, in John 5.30, Jesus said, I do the will of the Father which sent me. He's like, hey, I've come in my Father's name. I'm doing what He's doing. Jesus honored the God of His fathers. Luke 4.16 says, And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for a read. When Jesus was on earth during those 30 years before He started His ministry, He followed the customs and the teachings of the Jewish people. He followed every bit of that law. Kept every bit of it. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He read the Scripture. He followed and he worshipped the God of his fathers. Joseph, his stepfather. David, his father. Abraham, his father. He followed those teachings. He followed those customs. He did all those things. But it says that the Antichrist, it says he'll not regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to God of my fathers. I'm not going to do that stuff that my, you know, my grandma... You know, people always talk about their grandma's religion like it's such a bad thing. I was like, well, you know what? Your grandma sure did a whole lot better than you're doing. All right? and, you know, they, and what they're doing, they're usually criticizing the old paths. They like to criticize this old book that we have. And they like to criticize our old hymns that we sing. But let me tell you, these things have worked for years. This Bible, it's the Word of God. We're not going to change it. We're not going to disregard it and go after something else. I mean, how arrogant do you have to be to think you can improve the Word of God? How arrogant do you have to be? But people try it all the time. And the Antichrist, he doesn't regard the God of his fathers. He defies. He refuses He refuses to honor them. He defies them. And so, uh, also, the Antichrist... When He came, He cleansed the temple. We see. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, it says in John chapter 2, verse 14, "...and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when He had made the scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence and make not My Father's house and house of merchandise. Well, I'd love to watch it that day. You know, I, honestly, I, I know Jesus isn't going to do this. But have you ever thought, you know, what would happen if Jesus showed up in the flesh and went through our service? What would He have to say about what we're doing? I, I, I think about that every once in a while. What would He do if some of these churches out there, that are just some of this crazy stuff that's going on, what would happen if He showed up in the flesh? Would he have to take a whip to us? Well, I hope not. I really hope not. And just because he's not going to do that in the flesh doesn't mean that we ought to defy him. Boy, we ought to try to please him and do what he wants us to do. But he was he was cleansing the temple. He's getting the junk out of there. The Antichrist, when he comes, we read about the abomination of desolation again in Matthew 24, verse 15. He defiles the temple. He commits a sin in there, an abomination in there that disgusts everyone. It says, "And when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains." You know what Jesus was saying right here? When that day comes, when you see that happen, he said, "Run." If you're in Judea, 
Flee into the mountains. Don't even return to get your stuff. Because we see in Revelation that a part of the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed during that time. There's going to be some horrible things that are going to start happening because when He does that, it's going to upset God. God's going to be upset. He's defying God. And God's, Jesus is saying right here, Whoso read it. The people who have the Bible during this time, if, if, you're in, if you're in Judea during that time, run. You notice how He doesn't say anything about in Jerusalem though. I almost think for the people there, there's not going to be any place to run to. It's going to be too late. But in Judea, outside of Jerusalem, he's saying, if you're there, run. He said, don't flee in, flee into the mountains. Don't even return to get yourself. And then he mentions, he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember how Lot she turned back when the city was being destroyed? She turned into a pillar of salt. Now I don't know if anybody's going to turn into a pillar of salt in that day, but I just wonder if if they at the slightest hesitation, that judgment is going to come so fast. They're dead. I don't, I don't know. But it says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Uh, I'm just glad I'm not going to be in Judea <laughs> during that time because uh, that, that doesn't sound good at all. But that's, what, that's once again, contest between Christ and the Antichrist. Christ was rejected of men. Isaiah 53, 7, He is despised and rejected of men. Think about it. I mean, this is Jesus Christ. He's coming to pay for the sins of the world. He did nothing Nothing but good while he was on earth, yet he's despised and rejected. The Antichrist, we see he is a fierce, bloody, arrogant, deceitful liar, and yet he is loved by the world. You know, it seems like even politicians these days, the more wicked they are, it seems like the more they're loved, the more popular they are. Some of these politicians, I mean, they get busted in a scandal and they get more popular than ever. How does that happen? Why? Because man's just wicked. Man is wicked. Things that should ruin them make them rock stars. It's ridiculous. It's disgusting. And that's how it's going to be with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be accepted by man. It says in Revelation 13.4, Christ was slain for the people. John 11.51, the Antichrist slays the people. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 20 says, Thou shalt be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. He, the Antichrist is going to do nothing but harm. He is going to be leading the world to death and hell and yet he's loved. Jesus Christ was trying to lead people to happy, happiness and heaven and he was hated. Christ, he was uh, was glorified, or Christ glorified God on earth. John seventeen four. Antichrist blasphemes the name of God in heaven in Revelation thirteen six. Christ was received up into heaven. Revelation twenty four fifty one or uh, Luke twenty four fifty one. Antichrist goes down into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter nineteen verse twenty. Well, I'm look, I'm looking forward to that day. I am looking for I'm not looking forward to seeing any person thrown into the lake of fire, but I am looking forward to seeing the devil thrown in the lake of fire, the Antichrist thrown in the lake of fire. I am looking forward to that, and that is where he's ultimately going to go. So what are we to learn from this? Why show all these contrasts? We've got to learn to think like Christ thinks. The reason many of the Jews didn't realize what was going on is the same reason we don't understand what's going on spiritually sometimes. We naturally think like Antichrist. That's how we naturally think. We, we don't always like God's timing, do we? 
When we pray for something, we want that immediate answer. That's how we think it should be done. That's how the Antichrist is going to seem to make things happen. The Antichrist is going to bring peace to the Middle East. A false peace. It's not going to be real. It's not going to last real long. And after it, the plan unfolds, it's going to be uglier than it ever was before. But people are going to look and here he's going to show up on the scene and, oh man, this is the guy that brought peace to the Middle East. Nobody else could do that. And but and they're going to be they're going to be so excited because he's doing things the way that they want it done. But it's it's not going to work. It's going to look like it works. It's going to look great. It'll look great for a little while. He's going to get a lot of praise for it. But it's not the way. It's not God's timing, and it's not it's not real. We don't always like God's answers. Sometimes God says no to the things that we ask, the things that we pray for. Sometimes the Lord's will does not line up with our will. And you know what? That's tough to swallow sometimes. But I think if Jesus was willing to submit to God's will, if Jesus was willing to get a no from God, I think we ought to be willing to get a no from God. I think we ought to be have enough faith. And if Jesus was able to do it, I think we ought to be able to do that too. We don't necessarily have to even like how God does everything. But hopefully you like being right and you like truth. See, I want to be right. Okay, I, I hate being wrong, and I really hate it when I get proved wrong. I hate it. It's, it's no fun. I want to be right, and I want truth. I want to know the truth. But if you really want to be right, and if you really want truth, you've got to learn to think like Jesus thought. And that's trust God no matter what. That goes against what this world teaches. It goes against what this world's doing. Why is that? Because the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. And before long, I believe it's going to happen soon, there's going to be a man that's going to surface that is going to just represent the world in the best way. I mean, he's going to be the one that just knows how to communicate with everybody. He knows how to feel what they feel and think how they think. Why is he so good at it? Because he is the man of sin. He is the son of perdition. He is, I mean, sin embodied. And people are going to be related to Him real well. Jesus Christ, He was holy. He was righteous. Therefore, what He did didn't line up with what we do. And with the way that we think. And that's why so many reject Him. It takes faith to believe in Christ. It takes faith to follow His will. That goes 100% against the flesh. But that's what you have to do to be right. That's what you have to do to find truth. And I challenge you to learn from this today. I mean, think, man, the Jews, what they were experiencing when Jesus came through there, through that eastern gate, what an exciting day that was. But it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't how they thought it was going to be. And so instead of rejoicing and just enjoying things, what did they do? They rebuked Jesus. They criticized Him. They got mad at Him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, instead of the disciples being out there at Mount Calvary preaching to folks saying, look, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. They could have been preaching, hey, He's he's paying for your sins there. He's paying for my sins. Hey, But you know what? Don't worry. This can't stop them. They should have been there preaching. They should have been having a three-day, round-the-clock revival outside that garden tomb. Folks, Jesus told them He was going to rise from the dead in three days. He told them it was going to happen. But it wasn't registering with them. Because it wasn't 
It didn't line up with their way of thinking. It just it didn't register. And after it happened, then it all came. Then they figured it out after the fact. But if they would have just listened to the words ahead of time, can you imagine if they would have done that? All right, hey, we got the countdown. They they got a countdown going out there. All right, it's just it's been almost three days now. He's going to come in any minute, and they've got that big crowd there, and all of a sudden that stone rolls away. And Jesus, can you imagine? That meeting that must have taken place, good night. That had to be exciting. And they missed it. And boy, when I read that, it's like, is there anything I'm missing like that? I don't want to miss out on something like that. Jesus spelled it out for them. But it didn't line up with their way of thinking. Is there something that I'm going to miss out on because I'm not willing to accept word for word what God said? I like my idea better? I don't want to miss out on that. I want to think like Christ thinks because I want to be right. I want truth and I hope that's your desire. So let's all stand together.